you. Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. You first loved us. You, you came for us. We were lost in sin. And Lord, you found us, and uh, we're so grateful. Thank you for the, the willingness, the love that, that, that put Christ on the cross, and Lord, his willingness to give his life and suffer your wrath so that we could be born again. Uh, we're very, we're, we're grateful people. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. God, help us to never get over salvation, never get over what it cost you to purchase us back from our sin, our rebellion, the wages over all of it. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. We wanna, we wanna learn. Lord, we're your people. And we ask that you'd use today to grow us, to mature us, to conform us more to the image of Christ. And then, Lord, we pray for any that, do, you know, that are here today that do not know you. There's, there's always people who think they're going to heaven because they prayed some prayer. They went through some formality and they've never believed on the gospel. Or they think that their good works outweigh their bad works and that somehow you'll have to let them in because they're so good. Uh, this is the way of Cain. Lord, open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. God, would you bless this service, but Lord, would you also bless the offerings and, and the resources that, that are given Lord, let it all fall out to the making of disciples, the training and equipping of leaders, the multiplying of ministry. God, we ask that in everything that you would be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this morning we're gonna pick it up in Genesis chapter four and verse 16. And I want you to just keep in mind, just keep this principle in the back of your mind as we approach God's word. First Corinthians chapter five tells us that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little yeast can get the whole dough uh, ready for baking. A little sin, what it does, it's a cancer that metastasizes and, and it just invades everything. It corrupts everything. And that's what we're seeing. What started in the garden, Adam's fall, was one sin of rebellion against God. And last time we saw in his son uh, a magnification of sin, Cain murders his little brother Abel. And so it goes. What we're seeing now is the way of Cain. We're seeing how sin is metastasizing into humanity. Last time we saw Cain, he's the founder of all human religious effort. He's trying to achieve salvation by works. Uh, this is how we end up in a society of sin. He knows that God should be honored. Uh, he wants to come to God and bring worship to him. He wants to be accepted by his creator. And, and so he's very religious. He comes on his own terms. He was the first one there. He knew what had to be done, but he's offering the fruit of his labor, fruit from a ground that he has worked, a ground that has been cursed by sin. And then Abel's sacrifice was accepted because he comes with a firstling of his flock. He comes in humility. He comes with a sacrifice. Innocent blood is shed. Cain's sacrifice, his effort, his ability was not received. And so Cain, full of pride, his, his anger gets the best of him, his countenance falls, because uh, pride is running his life. So this is what we saw last time. Cain is a type, he's a picture in the Bible, of a self-righteous person that rejects the sacrifice of the lamb and tries to offer his own works as a substitute. 
God, I'm going to come to you based on my own merit, my own ability, on my own awesomeness. And the result is death. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is separation from God. We saw that in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, their sin resulted in their separation from God. They're no longer, they no longer have access to the voice of the Lord. They can't walk with God in the garden. And in Cain's case, the death is compounded. Now it's not just separation from God, but Cain's murdered his little brother. It results in Abel's death. And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the way of Cain being laid out for us in Scripture. So let's pick it up in verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Uh, This is just, again, one of the, the saddest statements in Scripture. His pride and his rebellion is now further removing him. He goes out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain, notice the chain of logic here, the cause and the effect. This is what we saw at the beginning of chapter four. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bare Enoch and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Arad, and Arad begat Mahujalah, and Mahujalah begat Methu, uh, Methuselah, and Methuselah begat Lamech. Okay, so let's look, let's start with this city of Enoch in uh, verse 17. So notice Cain is leaving, right? He's, he's following his father's direction away from God. That's your first blank. Uh, in... in Chapter three and verse 24, Adam is now moving away from the garden east of Eden. Well, Cain's following his example. In in Exodus chapter 34 and verse seven, we find out that the sins of the the fathers are visited on the children to the third and fourth generation. And so he's just following in the footsteps of his father. Now, this is the first mention, this is the first time in your Bible the word city shows up. And this city, this first mention of a city is associated with a man, you know, the city's builder and maker is a man who is a type of antichrist. And so this is what I want you to get down in your notes. You just need to know this. Satan is always working to counterfeit God's plans. Satan is always working to counterfeit God's plan. Everything God does, Satan counterfeits it. He copies it, he mimics it. Why? Well, he wants to stand in the place of God as God showing himself that he is God. So what is Satan counterfeiting? What is the agenda, the satanic kingdom producing? Well, the first thing it produces is a replacement city. Notice how in the last days, in the last couple hundred years, right, 250 years or so, humanity has flocked to cities. Why? Well, there's a heavenly city coming. Abraham saw it in Hebrews chapter 11. John saw it in Revelation 21 and 22. Hebrews 11 says, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the, in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked. Why was he a stranger and a pilgrim in this world? Verse 10 tells you, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Satan knew that God was building a city. It was this city, it's the new Jerusalem, it's the capstone 
of all of God's kingdom. Satan knows what God is doing, and so in this perfect type of antichrist, he uses him, right, to build a counterfeit city. Its builder, Enoch, the city, its builder and maker is this type of antichrist, Cain. So the kingdom of Satan counterfeits what? Well, a replacement city, but also a false messiah. We've, we've mentioned this before, and, and it's critical that you get this. As you study scripture, just never forget the mystery of iniquity is always working to produce a false messiah. Why? Well, because the mystery of godliness, you know, Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter three, he told him about the mystery of godliness. What is it? Well, it produced God in the flesh. That's the mystery of godliness. Christ is God in the flesh. So Satan counterfeits it. What's he trying to produce? Satan in the flesh. That's the work of the mystery of iniquity, to produce a false messiah, an antichrist. And you see the culmination of that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. When the wicked one, the, the antichrist is revealed, what's he doing? He's standing in the place of God as God, showing himself that he is God. He's standing in the temple, in the holy place, demanding worship to himself. Why? Because everything that God is, I take it for myself. I want to be all that God is without submission to God. So it's a, a replacement city, the kingdom of Satan. The, the satanic agenda is producing a replacement city, a false messiah, because Christ is coming, but also a false church, right? The, the, the satanic agenda, he counterfeits religion. It's a man-made religion, and you see the culmination of that in Revelation chapters 13 through 18. When the Antichrist is ruling, he has a, he, he has, he, he, he's ruling over the pinnacle, the culmination of all man-made religion. And what it does is it, sub, it substitutes man's works, which God cannot accept. It substitutes man's works for God's grace. Titus chapter three verse five tells us how we're received of God. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing, right, renewing of the Holy Ghost. How are we received by God? It's at the foot of the cross of Calvary. Have your sins been washed away by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you going the way of Cain saying, well, if there is a God, if I'm standing before him one day, I'm pretty sure he'll have to let me in heaven because I've been a pretty good person. I think my good deeds, my good works outweigh my bad. I, I, I've, I've been pretty good to people. I've been, a pretty sweet, I've been a pretty sweet person. I think God will have to accept me. No, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you ever lied, cheated, despised your mother and father, if you've ever held pride or covetousness or lust in your heart, these are all things. I mean, just one error causes you to miss the mark of God's righteousness. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. God so loves, I mean, we're all sinners, we're fallen humanity. God so loved us, he could not abide the idea of us being separated from him by our sin for eternity, so he literally killed himself <laughs> right to get you back he literally killed himself to keep us out of hell he literally killed himself to keep us uh, to, to keep us from being separated from him by our sin for eternity 
God the Father sent Christ, God the Son, to live the life that we could not live. He hung on the cross of Calvary and our wickedness was imputed. It was reckoned on him. He became our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in the person of Christ. It's through the finished work of Christ that we're received. It's the It's this washing of regeneration. Our sins are washed away by the shed blood of Christ. It's through the new birth that we're born again. So the way of Cain produces, right, a replacement city, a false Messiah, a false church. Well, what are the works of righteousness that Cain produces? What are they? What's the works of the way of Cain? We looked at this last week. 1 John 3.12 talks about it. Cain not of Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works, the works of righteousness, his righteous indignation, what do they produce? Well, produce the murder of his little brother. Anytime you're so right, you gotta kill someone. Eh, you're the Antichrist. It's murder, right? His own works are evil, his brothers are righteous. He, his little brother just brought a firstling of the flock, God received him. I'm awesome, I'm working a cursed ground and you've never seen a pumpkin like what I brought to the Lord. And he rejected it. So logically, little brother's gotta die because he did what was right and I'm doing what's wrong. This is the way of Cain. Murder in the name, murder in the pursuit of God. It results in death. We we mentioned this last week, you know, what's the number one killer? in humanity, is it, is it the drug problem? Is it, oh, that's a bad problem, kills a lot of people. But that's nothing compared to man-made, man-organized religion. Pursuit of God through the works of righteousness that we do, it's not through humility, it's not humbly coming to God, seeking the washing of regeneration. No, 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 it's, it, it's, it's me being right and God, you have to accept it. There's been so much murder perpetrated by organized man-made religion and it will, come, it will culminate in the kingdom of the Antichrist which will be headquartered in a wicked city. It's called the great whore in Revelation chapter 17. It's a false religion, right? It's a man-made, it's a culmination of a man-made religion ruled over by the person of Antichrist himself. Okay, chapter, chapter four, verse 19. And Lamech took unto him two wives, two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. So Lamech was the first bigamist. Bigamy was never part of God's plan, and that's evident from the way that God set it up in Genesis chapter two. God didn't cause a deep sleep on Adam to come over Adam so he could harvest three or four ribs, right? How many ribs did he take? One. And then from that genetic material, he builds out Eve and he brings her back to Adam and Adam says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Two become one, not three, one or four, one or a harem, one. No, the way God set it up was one man and one woman. Genesis 2, 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of the ribs, one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his harem. No, it's his wife, singular. 
and they shall be one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Two become one, and it's a beautiful picture. We'll talk about that in just a second. What's Lamech saying? What's Lamech saying? Well, Lamech, he's a, he's a, he's a great, 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 great grandson of Cain. The sins of the fathers just keep propagating, and, and now it's a society of sin, and just like Adam and Eve before him, God, what you provided is not enough. Think about the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter three. What did God provide for Adam and Eve? Well, he provided everything but the fruit of one tree. Everything's on the menu for Adam and Eve except one item, one tree. And he loved them. He was not willing that they would perish, and so he gave them, he gave them a warning. He gave them a gospel. All the trees you can freely eat. It's all for you. Um, you may live a thousand years and never get around to eating everything that's on the menu, okay? But the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's not on the menu. By the way, if you eat it, you will surely die. The day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. He loved him so much, he was not willing that they would perish, so he gives this warning, and what was the response of Eve? She bought into the lie of the devil. God is stingy. He's holding out. He knows that if I eat the fruit of that tree, I'll be like a God knowing good and evil. God is not generous. He is stingy. What he's provided, which was everything but the fruit of what, do you get, do you get how we get fixated? God is, is God good to us? Is God good to you? Hasn't he blessed you? I mean, here is God blessing his people and then there's just like that one thing that you want that God says, no, that's not for you. And it's like, God, you're a monster. You're holding out on me. One man with one woman was God's plan. Why? The picture is that of Christ and his bride. So you read Ephesians chapter five and you see how a husband and wife are to relate to one another like Christ and the church relate to one another and, and then he comes down to the end of Ephesians chapter five and verse 33 and he says, what I'm really talking about is Christ and his bride. Here's how this thing works. You see two major brides in the Bible, Israel in Jeremiah chapter three, you see very clearly she is associated as the bride of Jehovah and then church, right, the church. She is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, you see her very clearly as the bride of Christ in Revelation chapter 19 and verses seven and nine. You are brothers, you are part of a bride. I don't know how, that, how that's gonna, I can't, I, I just, as a dude, I don't have the capacity to get my head around it, but we are all part, we're members just like you have members in a body, we are members of the bride of Christ. We're members of the church. And I, you know, I don't know exactly how to explain that. Like I said, I can't get my head around it. The best I can come up with is the transformers. You know, each member is awesome. You know, you got the Autobots and they're cool. They can, they're all gifted in different ways. But, but man, all of a sudden when the chips are down, they can all come together. Autobots unite, you know, and then, so then they have, you know, and then pretty soon it's this giant robot, and, and it's always something mega. So is it Megatron? Is it, are you guessing or do you know? Like if you give me the right name, if you give me the right name of what all the Autobots become when they all merge together into a giant robot, 
you've outed yourself as a massive nerd and there's no coming back from that. So just, just, just say it. Okay, so, but I watch the cartoons. I know, I know how this thing works. Somehow, we all together, as a, we're the bride of Christ. So let's reverse it. What God has given you in terms of your relationship, relationships as part of the bride of Christ, your relationship with Christ himself, is that enough for you? Are you content with what God's given you? You know how people get so messed up in sin? They're not content with what God has given them. Paul says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, with that state, with where I'm at, with what I have, therewith I can be what? I have to learn contentment. What God has said, what God has given as enough over my life, truly it's enough. Verse 20, and Ada, okay now, now pay attention, this is, this is where it gets interesting. Ada bare Jabel, he was the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as have cattle, and his brother's name was Jubal. So it's Jabel and Jubal. Jabel and Jubal, lyric, I mean, now they're lyrical names. Just pay attention to that. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. So now it's a very musically gifted society, isn't it? This society of sin. And Zilla, she also bare Tubalcane, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubalcane was Naamah. So with the outline that we gave you, a preview outline last week, how is the civilization developing? Well, they've got cattle, they've got music, they've got weapons, right? They're herders of cattle, they know, they, they're, they're experts in music theory, music ability, and uh, they're building out technology, right? Brass and iron, this all indicates a highly advanced level of technology. And this is why your modern versions of the Bible change the word brass to bronze because what the historians say is the ability to make brass doesn't come until 500 AD. They didn't start, mankind couldn't produce brass until 500 AD. Well, that's not what the Bible says, right? It's, it's brass. Well, okay, so this comes, the, the way this works is, is we typically always view ourselves as superior. Right, most people, the way they're naturally hardwired is they think they're the smartest person they know, which proves our lack of supreme intelligence. So we'll read stories from Genesis and and in our mind's eye, what we're seeing is a bunch of guy running around in in furs and clubs and and throwing rocks and and they're communicating with one another. Like we think, they're a bunch of morons. Adam named every living thing. This is a feat beyond the ability of any living person. He was a freak, okay? The intelligence that would be required to have a vocabulary like that is off the charts. We don't have that kind of brain space. Okay, so what's happening? Well, it's the, the law of entropy is a thing. Everything starts very organized and eventually it reaches a chaotic state. That's what's happening with the human genome. Mankind is not evolving, contrary to popular wish. Mankind is devolving. 
with the centuries, with the generations, what's happening? Mutations and problems get entered into the gene pool and, and mankind degrades. Entropy is a thing. I mean, we'll go, we'll go from Adam to whatever's left at the return of Christ and, and that's just the way this thing works. I hate to break it to you, but your great, 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 great grandfather was smarter than you. He had a higher IQ than you. Sorry, <laughs> that's, just, that's just what's going on. They have advanced technology. They've got advanced insight. Now, if you're a sci-fi nerd, if you've read anything in terms of science fiction literature, you know that technology, technology sufficiently advanced looks like what? Magic. Let all the nerds say Magic, okay, so a few, few, few people. Look, I'm a nerd, magic, it looks like magic. Okay, so, what's the goal of having all this technology? Well, if I've got all this, if I can do all of this, what do I need God for? See, there's no need of the supernatural, no need of God, because we've got everything that a civilization needs to live apart and independent of him. See, the goal, the spirit of Antichrist is to become God in the place of God. The spirit of Antichrist, again, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. When it's ultimately manifest in the person of Antichrist, what's he doing? He's opposing and exalting himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And that is evident in society today. Today, mankind is not looking to the Savior but to a singularity where man will become godlike in his knowledge and ability and longevity, all without submission to his creator. What's the goal of man? It's to come to the place where he, you know, they're saying with technology, everything is multiplying, everything is reproducing, uh, the, the technology capacity is doubling and it's happening with such rapidity that eventually the processing power, the storage ability, the bandwidth, it will all be there and it will enable us to achieve a godlike level of existence. We'll know everything, we can do anything, and we can live forever doing it. They call this the singularity, and most of these guys, they're, they're thinking by the 2030s to 2040s, man can be immortal as atheists. Now, what's funny is most of these guys are in the camp of basically copying themselves into a digital construct and that's gonna give them immortality. And it's so foolish, right? You're gonna know all, you're gonna live forever. They're fools, they have no knowledge of God, no understanding of the eternal soul. If you could copy yourself into a digital construct, I got news for you, it's not you. And the minute you die, that's the end of you. Luke 12, 20 says, God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Do you understand, science has no understanding of what makes a person a person, no concept of what makes a living soul a living soul. You're, oh, I'm gonna, li I'm, I'm gonna live forever because of the digital revolution. No, you're a fool. Here's another example of how this principle works. Even in the church, in the last days, the church of the last days, represented by the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter three, listen to her heart, Jesus's, Rebuke is this, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I wish, I would that thou wert cold or hot. 
So then because thou art lukewarm, you're not on fire for anything, you're just living cozy for yourself. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of, the, out of my mouth. You know, you got people that make Jesus wanna barf. I, I don't wanna be that guy, right? I don't wanna be that, I don't wanna be that person that's so obnoxious and nauseating to the Lord. He wants to barf me up. He makes me want to barf. I will spew thee out of my mouth. Why? Verse 17, because thou sayest, here it is, same thing, I am rich and increased with goods. Man, we've got, I mean, I've got, I've got ribeyes. I've got my hip-hop playlist, right? I got my, I got my, I got my iron chariot. I got my sweet wheels. I got, I mean, I got all this technology. I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. You can't see how utterly destitute we are. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, the church of the last days, we have everything that we need and so wrongly we feel no need of God. You know, there's some people in this room today that just, you need to divorce Facebook or Instagram. You need to, you need, to, you need to break up with Twitter because it's stealing your heart away from the Lord. You need to, you need to, throw, your, you need to throw your video console, your, your gaming console, your gaming PC in the trash. You say, that's worth, man, that's, that's worth three grand. I can't throw that away. Sell it. Put it on eBay and, and take a mission trip because you think you're rich and increased with goods. And you can't even be, the technology of this society of sin has so captivated your heart, you don't have time for the Lord. God help us. Verse 23. Watch, watch how this society progresses. Lamech kills, men are killers. Verse 23, Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man unto my wounding and a young man to my heart hurt. If Cain be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, 70 and sevenfold. Now we talked about this last time. Likely Lamech has killed in self-defense, but here's what you need to get. Just like Cain, his great, 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 great grandfather was a murderer, killing is now part of the culture. This is part and parcel to the way of Cain. Now, remember, we said this before, point number five. Men have everything that they need for a godless religion. They're not satisfied with God's setup for the family, so they've got multiple wives. They've got cattle for sacrifices, music for worship, the artificer for idols. They can, they can build out their technology. They've got an attitude now of self-justification. I want you to look at what Lamech is saying. You need to know that this is actually poetry. Lamech is singing to his wives. This is the birth of gangster rap. <laughs> Look at what Ga- Lamech says unto his wives. And so from the, for after the comma, everything down to the end of verse 24 is poetry. He is, this is a society of sin, and he's rapping his self-justification. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt, and I'm gonna get away with it. If Cain got away with it, I'm gonna get away with it 70 and sevenfold. Notice the cause and the effect, right? I'm justified, I'm, I'm justifying myself before God and man. 
And so now this guy had to die. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write poetry. I'm gonna sing. I'm gonna sing about it. All right, verse 25, notice this cause and effect. It's just like what we saw at the beginning of chapter four. Adam knew his wife. She conceived and she bore Cain. Cause and effect. It's a logic chain. Same thing here, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again. Obviously she conceived because, what, she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel who came, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Okay, we've said this before. Let's point it out again. You've got to pay attention to the second birth. There's always something wrong with the first birth. We need to be born again. There needs to be a second birth. That's the picture. But notice, Eve is no longer saying that Cain is her man from the Lord. Remember we, we saw the prophecy after the fall in Genesis 3:15, It's really bad right now, but, but uh, everybody needs to know that the seed of the woman will destroy Satan. So when Eve has her first baby, she names him Weapon, right? It's Lance, it's Cain. He's the tip of the spear. I mean, he, your, boy, your name is Bullet, because you're gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna destroy you're gonna crush Satan's head. You're gonna destroy him. So she's not calling him a man from the Lord anymore. But notice she calls Abel another seed. She calls, I'm sorry, Seth another seed to replace Abel who was killed. Replaces your next blank. She calls him another seed. Why? Well, okay, so there's still hope. But notice something has changed. Okay, Seth has a baby, and he names him not weapon, not, not, uh, not um, bullet, not spear, right? He's not a lance. He names him Enos. Enos means weakness. It's associated with mortality. Uh, I'm not going to name my son Killer. I'm not going to do it. So here's Seth. His name means in the place of or appointed in the stead of. He's replacing Abel. But at the birth of Enos, this name associated with weakness and mortality, notice what happens. Then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Here's what I think is taking place here. Is finally, right, Adam's family, not, not in the line of Cain, but in the line of Seth, they're recognizing it's not by might, it's not by power. God has to work, except God makes a way we're hopeless. And so I'm gonna name my son, not killer, I'm gonna name him dependent. He's weak, he's mortal. Except God move, we die. Then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. You know, I don't know, man, I'm just, I'm waiting. I used to say, I can't wait to get, get to heaven and get into God's home movie collection, you know, his DVD collection. Now it's his streaming server, you know? I, 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 wanna, I wanna see the video from that time because I believe with all my heart what's happening here is the greatest revival in humanity outside of what will take place in the time of tribulation. I think this was the greatest time of revival on the planet. Men came to recognize what sin had done, how this was catastrophic for mankind, and they began to look to the Lord. They knew their need. Proverbs 3, 5 says we're to trust in the Lord 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Verse seven says, be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. They're calling on the Lord, they're dependent. How can we not come together and pray? There are so many people that, that are bought, bought in part and parcel to a society of sin and except God opens their eyes and pours out his spirit and conviction, there's no hope. We have to pray. Okay, Genesis 5. Genesis 5, we're seeing the generations of Adam. Verse one says, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man. In the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image. Notice it's not in the image and likeness of God. It's after his own likeness and after his image and called his name Seth. And after, right, verse four, the days and the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. So 800 years plus 130 years, Adam lived to be 930. simple math at this point, folks. How many? 930. 930 years, okay. 930 years, you remember the millennial day principle from Second Peter chapter three? A day is like what? A, th- a thousand years is as a, is as a day. What did God tell Adam? He told him not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The wages of sin is death. That's why everybody in your, Adam lived a long time, but he did not live past a day. And nobody in humanity lived more than a day. Even Methuselah, he couldn't break a grand because the wages of sin is death. Okay, so Adam lived a long time, had a lot of kids, but he died the day that he ate the fruit. He died positionally that day, and he, the proof was in the fact that he lost access to the tree of life. He's out of the Garden of Eden, but he died physically that day. Seth, verse six, and Seth lived in 105 years and begat Enos, so 105 years, and then verse seven, Seth lived after he begot Enos, 807 years and begat sons and daughters. So, you know, kids waited a while to get married and have kids, didn't they? 105 years, he started having babies. All the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Okay, so what are we seeing here? In Genesis five, verse one, it starts out telling you this is the book, right? This is the book of the generations of Adam. This phrase, the book of the generations, occurs only two times in your Bible. The other time is Matthew chapter one, verse one. So it forces you to contrast and compare Adam and Jesus. In Matthew chapter one, it starts, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. First Corinthians 15 gives you the contrast and comparisons between these two Adams. It's not on the screen, I just want you to listen. First Corinthians 15 verse 45 says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, the last Adam, made a quickening spirit, a life-giving spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. 
There had to be a physical birth first before there could be a spiritual. Adam, as the federal head of humanity, he had to come first. The second Adam, the last Adam, had to come second. And here's why, verse 47, the first man is of the earth earthly, it's the physical birth. The second man is, of the, is the Lord from heaven. As the earthy, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as the heavenly, as is, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. You see how that works? If you're in the first Adam, you're gonna look like him, you're gonna live like him, you're gonna be like him. But if you're in the second Adam, you're gonna live like him, you're gonna look like him, you're gonna be like him. See, there are only two sources of life. The first Adam and his line brings death, or Christ's line, which brings eternal life. In Matthew's genealogy, you never see the phrase, and he died. Here, every three lines, he lived and he died. He lived and he died. Why? Because in Adam all die. In Matthew's genealogy, the genealogy of Christ, that phrase is left out because you have to get the picture. See, Adam was created in the image of God and that image was lost through rebellion and sin. Where Adam was created in the image of God, Christ is the image of God. Well, he'd have to be, wouldn't he? He's the one that's talking in Genesis chapter one. Let us create man in our image after our likeness. Christ is the image of God because he is God. Now notice in verse two, male and female created him. Again, marriage is between a man and a woman and he calls their name Adam. This is why in most cultures, the women take on their husband's name. And 1 Corinthians 11 gives you the basis for the order that God has established. Let's look at that basis. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. She was Adam's helpmeet. For this cause, here it is, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. We'll break that down when we get to Genesis chapter six. Um, there's some freaky stuff coming up. Invite all your sci-fi nerd friends, okay, Genesis. I mean, the, the stuff in the Bible is freakier than anything man could write. <sighs> Nevertheless, neither is a man, neither is the man without the woman, neither is the woman without the man and the Lord. For as much as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things are of God. Uh, you know, in Christ, Right, we have to submit ourselves one to another. We need one another. Um, but you have in Adam, right, and help meet Eve genetically is Adam. You get that, right? It's from her, his rib that she is fashioned. All are in Adam. We all came from him, even Eve, okay? In him is death because he sinned. He passes on a sinful fallen nature and likeness. In Adam, the Bible says, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And that's the picture that we're seeing here in Genesis chapter five. So here it is, here's the problem. Mankind is fallen. What's happening now is a sinful humanity is propagating. 
where Genesis 4 gives us the line of Cain, this chapter gives us the line of Seth. And verse 3 shows the real problem. The wrong likeness and image is propagating. Notice it's not Adam bears a son. It's not after the likeness and image of God. The Bible's very clear to point out to you it's after his own image and likeness. You say, well, does that necessarily mean that it's not the image and likeness of God? Well, why did Christ come? That likeness and image has to be restored. The likeness and image, it's lost in Genesis chapter three. God's image in us is lost. In, first, uh, in, in chapter one, verse 27, God made Adam after his own likeness, after his own image, male and female created he them. But Genesis five, does not mention that Adam has the image of God. The image is the spiritual likeness, and then the word likeness would talk about the physical likeness. But now the sons of Adam receive Adam's fallen image and likeness. So physically and spiritually, when we start out in this life, we start out in the first Adam. We're born with his fallen and sinful image. And no one gets the image of God restored in them again until Christ comes. The image of God, right, is restored in, the, in, in, in his children through the new birth. So John chapter one, verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When God made Adam, fashioned him from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he becomes a living soul. He is God's child. He has his father's likeness and image. Adam is a chip off the old block. That's why Luke 3, down at the end of the chapter, looking at Luke's account of the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus was the son of, who was the son of, the son of, son of, son of, son of, who was the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. He has the likeness and the image of God. Physically and spiritually, when we're born again, we're called sons of God. Why? Well, because that image is being restored. Jesus explains the need for a reborn image in John chapter three. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You have to have a physical birth. You have to exist. But you have to be born again if you're gonna be in the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what he explains. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's your water birth and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's your again birth. That's being born again. That's your spiritual birth. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. See, we need to get into the other family, the other genealogy. We need to get into the second Adam. And that's where we're conformed to the image of Christ. Look at Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed, here it is, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, when you go down through Genesis chapter five, you notice the phrase, and he died, and he died, right? All the days that Adam lived were, five, were uh, nine 930 years and he died. That's where it starts, Genesis 5, 5. And interestingly, five in biblical numerology. Numbers have meaning in the Bible. Five represents death and grace as you study numbers in the Bible. So it's interesting that it's in Genesis 5, 5. 
but he lives and then he dies. And then his offspring lives and then he dies. Every three lines, somebody dies, everybody dies. This is the first mention of natural death. Now, death is not natural. That was never part of God's original plan. But that phrase, and he died, shows up eight times in this chapter. Everybody but Enoch dies. Enoch, we'll look at him next time. He's the exception because he's the type of the New Testament believer. When a, believer, when a believer dies, we don't say they're dead. We say, biblically, we say they sleep. Why? Because the image of Christ is being restored in them. This happens, this happens in terms of spiritual maturity through your life in Christ on this earth. Okay, when you get saved, you're a new creature in Christ, but you're a baby, and you're a mess maker. That's what babies do. Babies are mess makers. But eventually, you grow out of poop in your pants and you, because you come into maturity, don't you? Uh, a ba- what, what does a baby do? You know you've pooped your, you know you pooped your pants. Everybody, ha- everybody in this room has pooped their pants, okay, because that's what babies do. But you don't stay there. You don't just stay a newborn creature. You come into maturity, don't you? And now you have the capacity to help other babies with their poopy pants because that's what mature people do. Um, Cheryl and I, we were, married, we were married almost seven years before our first baby came along, and, and uh, she was probably four or five months old, and she had a, a tough time and, and wasn't pooping. Like, what in the world? I mean, this is what babies do, and, and she's very uncomfortable, and now she's hurting really bad, and it was just a rough season there. I don't know if you remember this, but... But we got to the point where we started praying that she would poop. I've never, you know, I'd never, well, I had prayed about poop before, but it's the same prayers that you've prayed. Oh God, if you'll just help me get to a bathroom, I will enroll in LFBI. I'll live my life for you. I'll dedicate my life to missions and just please don't let me poop my pants. Okay, so I know that those kind of prayers, you've prayed those, but but no, I was praying for a poop. Oh God, please have mercy on this little girl. And when it finally came, I'm like, she did it. She did. I mean, I'm doing a poopy dance because I'm rejoicing in the fact that I get, we, I mean, we cleaned her up. You know, it was a wonderful thing. Uh, you're supposed to outgrow all of that. Why? Because the image that was lost in the garden 6,000 years ago is being restored in you, right? You're growing up, you're maturing. We put that saint in the grave. Uh, that work of being conformed to the image and the likeness of Christ, so the image, spiritual, chip off the old block, likeness, physical, chip off the old block. What happens? Well, at the trump, the trump will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet, to be with the Lord. Um, Philippians says it this way, our vile bodies, at the return of Christ, our vile bodies will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Romans 8 says, all of creation is groaning, waiting, it's travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. What's true of you now spiritually will be true of you physically. That likeness will be restored, it's called glorification. Right, right now, I have salvation. Right now, I'm going through sanctification, I'm being conformed to the image of Christ, but at the rapture of the church, I'll have his likeness. I'll, be, I'll have this glorified body 
I'll be this this manifestation of the sons of God will be complete and it will be final. Enoch pictures the New Testament believer because in Christ there may be sleep but there's no death. All of the first Adam's descendants are dead in trespasses and sin. Ephesians 2 describes it this way, we're by nature the children of wrath and we get the results of that. There's condemnation outside of Christ because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have to be born again and that's only possible after the coming of the second Adam. Okay, one more thing I wanna point out before we wrap up this morning. Names have meaning in the Bible. And when you look at the line of Cain versus the line of Seth and you see the names that they gave their children and the meanings of those names, if you put them together in order, you get a message. So here's the, the warning of God through the Hebrew names and, and the first one in your text box in your notes, it's the line of Seth. So if we start with Adam, his name is Red Earth, right, taken out of Red Earth. Uh, and then Seth, appointed in the place of. Enos, his name is connected to the weakness, the mortality of man. Okay, if we take their names in order, you get this message. Man taken out of Red Earth, having substituted mortality for the praise of God, made their own descent, so that when the dedicated died, they were brought low to rest. It's still a judgment of sin. It's actually an incredibly prophetic message of God's warning of a flood that's coming in the next chapter. Uh, But notice, those in the line that are calling on the name of the Lord, they still find rest, right? They're, They're brought low, but it's to rest. Now, look at this society of sin, look at the line of Cain. If you take their names and the meaning of their their names and you place them in order, here's the message, here's the warning of judgment. Here is the final word for a member of the society of sin. A self-made wild ass dedicated to blotting out that Jah is God, Jah is a name for Jehovah, it's another name for God. Jah is God died asking, why is it thus with me? as a flood carried away all who came from Cain. Okay, that blows my mind. What does a rebellious lost man, what's his final, I mean, so specifically in terms of Genesis chapter six, that's the judgment that came over sin. Um, It's the spirit of Antichrist on display, isn't it? Man who is rebellious, wanting to stand in the place of God as God, showing himself that he is God, blotting out the name of Jah that he is God, when judgment comes, he dies asking himself, why, why is it thus with me? Why am I consumed in this judgment? And it carries, all, it carries away all who come from Cain. Man, I don't know about you, but that puts the hair up on the back of my neck a little bit. In Adam, all die, there's no way around it. But in Christ, all are made alive. At some point, Do you know that you recognized your sin separated you from a righteous God? Do you know that? Did you call on the Lord for mercy, for forgiveness over sin, and call on Christ to save you? Uh, If you believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead, because a corpse can't hear your prayer, he can't save you. If you call on the Lord, right, with your mouth, make confession. With your mouth, call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says you'll be saved. And it's a new birth. It's called being born again.
And then it doesn't stop there. You mature, you grow. And as you renew your mind in the word of Christ, as you spend time with your father, you start thinking his thoughts, you start copying his character, uh, you, you just start living his way. And what's happening is you, 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 you're not just saved, but you get sanctified. God sets you apart. You don't live for yourself anymore. You learn how to live for Christ. And then it doesn't finish there. When Christ comes, we get his likeness. Our vile bodies are fashioned like unto his glorious body. God is in the restoration business, okay? We saw this in Genesis chapter one. We'll see it again in chapter nine, okay? God's in the restoration business. And the principle goes like this. When God restores something, it's always better than it originally was. Whatever its original state was that gets messed up, God has to step in and fix it. It's always better than it started out. Okay, how did we start out? Well, we were made from red earth. We were taken from the clay. We were taken from the dust of the ground. It was a terrestrial body that was fashioned in the likeness of God. Adam's a chip off the old block. When Christ comes back, when the restoration work is complete, oh man, it's a glorified body. <laughs> we'll be even a bigger chip off the old block. Is this making sense? Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, I'm asking that you would continue to grow us in our understanding. We wanna get your mind. We wanna understand you. We wanna know you. And so, Lord, help us to know and to receive your word. God, I pray that if there are any here today who up until this day thought that it was the works that they did that earned them favor with you, that they'd be away with that, they'd be done with that today, and that they'd cry out to you for forgiveness of sin, mercy, and salvation. God, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters who are... <coughs> following the example of Cain's society. And they're, they're living in a technologically advanced world. Uh, it's so advanced, they feel like they have need of nothing and they can't recognize how, how miserably destitute and needy they are. Lord, there are Christians here today that need to break up with Facebook or Twitter or their gaming console. Lord, whatever it is, whatever that thing is, that relationship with, with worldly substitutes that's hindering growth with you, growth in you. Lord, that today would be a day of repentance for brothers and sisters. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.